Welcome to Books on Air, the podcast that tells the story behind the book. It includes insights from authors about how they compose their work, what inspires them, and what they hope you'll take away from their book. Here's your host for this episode of Books on Air, Suzanne Harris. Welcome to the Books on Air podcast. I'm Sloan Fremont, filling in for Suzanne Harris. This is a podcast where listeners get the secret story behind every book. Joining me today is Stephen Jones, author of the book Galusha, Crisis and Courage in a Civil War Pastor. Have you ever faced a serious moral dilemma and realized that there is a costly way through it and an easier way out of it? And which one would you choose? This was the moral dilemma that Reverend Galusha Anderson faced when he arrived from the North to serve a congregation of divided loyalties in a divided city during the Civil War. Stephen, I want to welcome you to the Books on Air podcast. Thank you, Sloan. Good to be with you. Yeah, so let's start out by telling the audience just a little bit about yourself and what led you to write your book, Galusha, Crisis and Courage in a Civil War Pastor. Okay. Well, like uh, Galusha Anderson, I have been a lifelong American Baptist pastor, and um, I was called to serve Second Baptist Church in St. Louis, which is the church that he served during the Civil War. Mm-hmm. And I happen to be, it's an old church founded in 1833, and I happen to be kind of meandering through the archive room and the shelves and everything in there. And I ran across uh, his book, this, this is it right here, uh, A Border City During the Civil War. And um, I read it a couple of times. I was kind of intrigued by it. Mm-hmm. And uh, I really didn't know much about him. In fact, I don't know that I'd even heard of him before I took over that pastorate. But um, he had a very significant um, pastorate in St. Louis. It was um, uh, kind of a, a, a pivotal moment in the life of that church. And, uh, and it was kind of a crucible moment in his own life. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so your book is a little different in that it's both a novel and a biography, and it includes both fiction and nonfiction. Can you tell us how you were able to weave that all together into the story? Well, that's what took so long. Yeah. <laughs> I've been writing it for, for over a decade. Um, yeah. Um, well, when I read his book, his book is is a little bit of a dry um, history of St. Louis, the, the civil societies, the prisons, the commerce, the organizations, the churches and all that. And um, but I realized that when I was reading it, that that didn't really, you know, it was OK. And it's, it's history. Uh, I appreciate history and all that. But it, it didn't. Uh, caused me to want to write a book about it. But when I was reading that, I realized that underneath that story, that he, that history that he was telling, he was telling his own personal story. I don't think he meant to. Uh, I don't think, I know that wasn't his intent, but there was a lot of his own personal story that was coming out in kind of the underneath side of, of his much thicker book than mine. And um, I, I kind of, it intrigued me to hear his story. And I thought, could I, could I begin to kind of pull that story out and see if it fits together? And it does. Um, mm-hmm. uh, there's a lot of it in there, but you have to just go through every page and occasionally these little snippets of his own life. And uh, so that's what I did. There, there were some places missing, and um, I tried to do my very best to uh, write a few uh, chapters in it that um, would help embellish the story and tell mm-hmm. his story, because that was not his intent. But um, that's so that's where I got it. And that's where it came from. And so it is it is biography. An awful lot of the chapters and words are, are his. Um, but there are some sections that I that I had to add to kind of flesh out the story some. 
Mm-hmm. And so can you tell us how you weaved his story with what, with those, those kind of that underlying story you, you saw when you were reading? Um, can you tell us how you weaved his story into, and maybe even what you, you saw with his um, story and how that parallels some of the things, some of your experiences as a pastor, or even, you know, maybe people who are faithful and, um, you know, want to do the right thing. And there's, you know, as I talked about at the beginning about that moral dilemma that we all often face, can you right. talk about what you, or and maybe give us some examples of that? Well, the unique thing about St. Louis during the civil war is that it, it's at the far West end of the Mason Dixon line. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was one of the very few cities in the United States. Of course, the United States was at war with itself during the civil war, North versus South. And, um, so St. Louis is one of the very few places where people on both sides lived side by side. They shopped in the same shops. They lived on mm-hmm. the same streets, the same neighborhoods. Uh, they attended the same churches, belonged to the same organizations and clubs and so forth. And yet they were sending their sons out to kill the other sons on the battlefield. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of a, a, you know, you don't usually think of that um, happening in quite that uh, close of proximity. So right. these people had to learn how to uh, hold deep passions, which they did, uh, both pro-Union, pro-Confederacy, but not uh, not have it uh, blow up in the city of St. Louis. And the fighting uh, largely did not take place in the city of St. Louis. It happened all around it, but not in it. Mm-hmm. And um, that was partly because the city uh, had kind of a, an unwritten agreement that it wouldn't be talked about publicly too much. Now, that kind of broke down eventually, but that was kind of the beginning. So Galusha came. He came from the north. Uh, he was from western New York, and then he served mm-hmm. his first church in Janesville, Wisconsin. Very rural place, very far removed from the Civil War. They they probably had a you know soldiers off and families uh, in the Wisconsin infantry and all of that. But he basically... Uh, it, it, he didn't have much of an impact. Uh, the Civil War didn't have much of an impact on his first pastor. But when he moved to St. Louis, my goodness, it just, you know, it was right there in front of them. They had never lived near uh, slavery, had never known it before he mm. or, or his wife. And uh, it just hit them in the face. And um, so then they're kind of left with the, uh, the very difficult decision. How do you, how do, you do this? And most of the, all the pastors in St. Louis did it by keeping quiet. Wow. Um, they, they didn't address it because to address it meant to, to, you know, stir the pot and stir the waters and uh, create all kinds of problems. And he just he did that for a year and a half, two years, and he just couldn't do it anymore. He said, right. it's wrong. It's morally wrong, wrong uh, to, to treat uh, some people as slaves and to own them as slaves. And um, I just can't do this anymore. So there was one Sunday night when he finally decided as the first pastor in St. Louis to speak out against slavery and against the secession uh, of the Southern states against the Confederacy. And uh, it, it did what everybody feared that it would, which was that the, his church was one of the larger churches in town. And it was not quite evenly divided, but there was an awful lot of Confederate supporters in his congregation. And the next Sunday morning, they were all gone. Mm-hmm. Um, they sent several peacemaking delegations to try to work things out. If he would agree never to bring it up again, uh, they would come back. And he just felt like, you know, I, I can't do that. Um, yeah. my mandate as a pastor is to address injustice and inequality. And uh, I cannot 
um, agree to not tell the truth. So that that was kind of that crucible moment. That that followed an earlier moment in his life, which is even more personally uh, uh, hard and difficult and challenging in that he and his wife moved to St. Louis with one infant son uh, mm-hmm. who died after they arrived. And uh, they had another son who lived for a while and died. And then they had a third son and that son and the wife died in delivery or wow. in that period. So he came to St. Louis with a family and within about 18 months, he was, uh, he lost three infant boys and a wife. And um, you, you can imagine how um, challenging a moment that would be for anybody. And, right. uh, and in a pastor, it's, it's hard, it's hard to go through those um, public, or those losses in a very personal losses in a public way. Right. Uh, it, there are people in congregations who can make those transitions with you and put their arm around you and walk with you and fine. And there are other people who, for whom that's, that's a little more difficult to ask. And so he had to go through that and suffered most of that privately. Um, Although everybody knew he was going through it, he remarried eventually. Mm -hmm. And and then not long after that, this uh, slavery thing hit. And um, what happened to the congregation is it, well, it, it was, about cut in half, not quite in half, but almost. And but then um, Second Baptist Church became known as the Union Church. Um, I mean, it wasn't the name, but it became known as a, a strong Union Church in St. Louis. And pretty much they regained all that they had lost by uh, people who who deeply supported the Union and were d- deeply against slavery who came to the church. And it, that really just changed the trajectory of the church from that point on. Yeah, and that that willingness to stand and speak up in the you know in the face of injustice and not being able to just quietly go along, right? That's I mean I think that's something everybody listening can relate to. Um, what did you learn about the cost of speaking the truth or maybe upsetting the status quo as you researched and wrote your book? Yeah, well, I've been a pastor for fifty years, so I, I know I know this from the inside out, and I think every yeah. pastor does. I I. You you can be a pastor and not address anything that matters uh, beyond the just inside life of your parish. But if we're followers of, of Jesus, that doesn't really fit um, yeah. the person that we're following. So um, I, I, I think that had he come to St. Louis and had he stayed 10 years, let's say he came in the 1850s and then the Civil War in the 1860s, I think he. I think it could have been a different outcome, because mm-hmm. my experience is that that if you take these these strong stands very early in your pastorate, before you've really gotten to know the people and they've gotten to know you, but after you've buried a few of their their beloved members and you've mm-hmm. married a few of their beloved members and you've baptized a few of their beloved members and you've been in the hospital with you know, many of them, you know, you do that for six, eight, 10 years and, and your, your life and theirs are woven in together. There's a trust right. and right. people will give you a little bit more rope um, to address uh, what, what you feel you need called to address. If mm-hmm. you have that kind of history, unfortunately, he came right in the, at the breakout of the civil war and um, felt called whether he was right or wrong is, history, I guess, but um, he, he felt uh, called that he had to address it in, in the 
kind of the first two, three years of his pastorate. Mm -hmm. And um, because of that, and because he'd just been through this terrible personal loss, where he probably had turned in on himself some, didn't get out as much, just processing his own grief over the loss of his wife and his, and his three sons. Um, it, the combination of all that together was, was probably not the best for taking such a, a big stand. I can't criticize him for it. I, I'm, I actually find him to be something of a hero of faith um, because sometimes, you know, sometimes you just have to do it. And um, yeah. if it costs you, it costs you. If it costs your church, it costs your church. Uh, I think sometimes you have to say it's worth it. Um, but certainly if, if you could time these things out and say, well, I, I can't really address this right now because it's so divisive. But if I had uh, another couple of years, I will address it. Uh, it. It's probably an easier thing on the congregation. But in point of fact, uh, he didn't feel like he had that kind of time. And it changed Second Baptist Church from that point on. Uh, it was uh, a different kind of congregation uh, from the 1860s on uh, because of his courageous thing. Yeah, because of his stance. And do you think his his taking that stance, you know, um, and, and even though people left, do you think it had an impact on, do you think there was like a ripple effect out of, of actually having an impact of, huge. of it was huge. Yeah. In fact, uh, not within, I, I, I would think, I think it was like 12 to 18 months after he did that, practically every Methodist, most Presbyterian, there was one that didn't, but most Presbyterian, most Episcopal pastors, the mainline uh, denomination pastors also spoke out. Yeah. And um, actually, it even even caused a, a couple, including one Presbyterian, to speak out on the Confederate side. Uh, but the pastors were no longer muzzled. They were no longer quiet. They felt like they they had to stand for whatever truth they 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 felt called to do. And he was he was the he he was the one that started that. And yeah. that was the ripple effect. Um, it didn't blow apart the city. The Civil War never came into the city in in a you know wholesale kind of way. Mm -hmm. But um, I mean, there there was some fighting and things, but not not major battles in, in St. Louis. And the city didn't didn't um, they, they were just afraid that the whole city would just unravel right. uh, with neighbors shooting neighbors in the backyards and all that kind of stuff. That that largely it it never quite got that bad. But um, he he did have a, a big impact on on the on the main I'd say the mainline churches mm -hmm. and um, the. Um, courage uh, of the mainline pastors to to join him and and speak out against against slavery but there are yeah, a couple of stories about pastors losing their pulpits in st louis some of them uh couldn't survive the, couldn't yeah and as I'm, i hear you tell the story it, it you know it, it's all it takes is one person to stand up in the face yeah. of injustice and right. yeah and that you know we often think we're small what we do doesn't matter, but that that's like the farthest from the truth. I mean, this is a perfect example of that. It is. I yeah. think the other thing we can say is that in that era, pastors uh, had a good deal more public clout than perhaps mm -hmm. we do today. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, because of that, it, it was a very big deal to have one of the St. Louis pastors step up and say, um, this is wrong. Slavery yeah. is wrong and we can't we can't continue it in our country. He was also a very strong supporter of Abraham Lincoln. Uh, mm -hmm. I think he tried very hard not to bring partisanship into the pulpit. 
Uh, but it was really hard to do when you're fighting a war and your president is, is you know, is leading that effort. Um, but he, he was a strong Abraham Lincoln supporter as well. Yeah. So what surprised you the most in your research for the book? Well, I, th- I think one of them is just trying to put myself in his shoes of, um, of, of personal loss as a pastor around his family. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I've had some, some personal challenges, um, not, not death, but personal challenges in, in my family and how you live with those in a public situation. Pastors have a very unique role in that our public is right there with us, whether you've right. got 100, 200, 300, or 1,000 members. Uh, they're, they're right there. They're looking at you, interacting with you. It's a small community that, that to whom you're accountable. And um, it, it's, it's hard uh, to, to own up to your losses, your pain, your grief. Um, and, and then um, that just followed right after his sense of what he had to do as a moral spokesperson. And that really touched me that, uh, that he had gone through that, but was able to process that he did get remarried, which I think uh, helped a great deal. And I think his second wife, Mary Eleanor, was a good deal more um, su- supportive of him going out on a limb. And mm-hmm. I'm sure that, that in part, his partner doing that uh, helped a great deal. Um, but it's just that combination of the story and the impact it had. He was, uh, he was on um, kill lists. Uh, oh, they discovered wow. the Confederate, they went into a Confederate stronghold in St. Louis, uh, the Union did, and they took all the books out of it. And they had uh, lists of people who were going to be arrested and lists mm-hmm. of people who were going to be killed the minute they found them. Galusha was the number one person on the list of people to wow. be strung up and hung uh, as soon as they got their hands on it. So uh, it, it, it wasn't just, uh, you know, you and I disagree and we agree to disagree. It, 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 it was a war. And yeah. um, so it, it did have a, a pretty serious price to pay. And his life was, was, in, uh, was in jeopardy. One of the stories that he tells is the Presbyterian pastor uh, down the street from him also was named Anderson. And uh, he, was, he was walking to the post office one day to pick up his mail, which is the way they did it in those days. And several people came out of a alley and threw bricks at him and hit him in the head. And uh, oh. he, he was all, you know, banged up and everything. And yeah. they thought they were throwing the bricks at Galusha because they're both named Anderson. They're both pastors. Right. And um, so the Presbyterian, who was a, very much a pro-Confederacy supporter, was really uh, irritated with him because he took the punishment for Galusha's uh, right. stand. So, you know, lots of things like that happen. I tell as many of those stories as I can in the book to, to show what happens. But I, I, I do, I think your point's well taken that that all of us face moral dilemmas, not just pastors, but at one time right. or another, um, whether we're persons of faith or not, we all have values and things that uh, we see going on around us that uh, probably needs to be addressed. And should we do it or somebody else? It's kind of easy to duck and say, "Well, yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna let Sloan take this one on, and I'm gonna I'm gonna take this one easy." Yes, yeah, so um, yeah. but mm-hmm. um, there there does come a time, and I think you're right. When one voice can make a huge difference, and I think his voice uh, made a huge difference in St. Louis, uh, encouraging particularly in encouraging other pastors to take the same stand. 
Yeah. Yeah. Very inspiring story. My guest this week has been Stephen Jones, author of the book, Galusha, Crisis and Courage in a Civil War Pastor. Before we close out today, what do you hope the readers learn or take away after reading your book? Well, I hope they, they learn to take courage. Um, I'm, yeah, not, yeah. I'm not saying that, that Galusha is the only way to go or that that's, that's the only way to do it. And as I mentioned to you, I think if he could have stayed eight to 10 years and then done it, if time would have allowed that, probably would have gone a lot better. Uh, and there are moments when, when you have to uh, kind of say this isn't the right time. But yeah. uh, I, think, I think mostly we lack courage. <laughs> and um, I think uh, Galusha's life urges us to, to try to be as courageous as we can with our faith and our values and what we know to be true. Yeah, yeah I love that message. I, Stephen, I want to thank you for joining us today and being our guest on Books on Air. Thank you, Sloan. Nice to be with you. You can find more about the book, Galusha, Crisis and Courage in a Civil War Pastor on Amazon, and I'll link to the book in the show notes, so, so be sure to check that out. You've been listening to the Books on Air podcast brought to you on webtalkradio.net. You can also hear this podcast on Spotify, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, and Apple Podcasts. I'm Sloan Fremont, and I hope you'll join us for the next Books on Air podcast. Remember, you never know who's going to be here, and you never know what we're going to talk about. Thank you so much for listening.